and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, your guilty pleasure, Steel. And I'm Jade. I apologise for nothing, Rose. <laughs> Amazing. And today we are talking about what makes a guilty pleasure and come clean about some of our own. That's it, fans. Uh, we are about to get a bit uh, personal. Yep. Um, but first, what is a guilty pleasure? I suppose for me, a guilty pleasure is something that you don't like to willingly admit to in public or like not without heavy provisos. Like, I love this thing, but let me explain to you why it's not so bad. Um, a friend of mine, mm. I say, as I've never met him, and we don't really talk very much. But um, <laughs> Stephen Sloss, who runs um, the Kaijusaurus podcast, yeah. is very passionate about... Uh, he doesn't believe in guilty pleasures. Yeah. And I agree, on paper, <laughs> that I still enjoy certain things that I then have to say, okay, but let me explain. Hmm. Um, or things that you will read the room for first, like... Is this something I could admit to in this particular group of people? Will I be shunned? Sometimes I construct sentences by putting the subject I'm talking about at the very, very end mm-hmm. after a lot of apologies and like, mm-hmm. okay, so please understand, like, I was a different person back then. <laughs> or like, mm-hmm. um, or it's things that you know contain <coughs> problematic elements. Ding! Into the jar. Shit! Again! Uh, that jar's getting full. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to, I don't know, Spain. Ugh, it's not that full. Definitely enough for a, a meal at the Noodle House. Ah. Uh, we, we need to make this jar real. We do need to make this jar real. I need real. to get some change. <laughs> I'm someone who has a lot of change for a dollar, after all. Um, <laughs> My pockets are full of change. Yeah. Um, anyway, I feel, <laughs> <laughs> I feel a guilty pleasure is something I wish didn't exist. But it, I think it inevitably always will. Sometimes you... Do you mean the pra- the fact that it is a guilty pleasure? Yeah. Rather than the thing itself is I, being considered a guilty yeah, pleasure? Yeah, I actually found it genuinely hard to come up with my guilty pleasures for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, not even, like, lying. Like, I wasn't... Nothing sprung to mind instantly. Because I have very little shame about what I love. No, same. Also, sometimes I wonder if part of that's the whole uh, autism thing. Hmm. But also at the same time, I'm also cripplingly aware of what other people think, because I think about it a lot. But it's uh, something we talked about as we were trying to suss out how we were going to frame this as as things as a kid that you maybe were made to feel you shouldn't like. And for me, I didn't really have any of that, except because everybody thought I was weird for everything that I did. Yeah. So I sometimes wonder if guilty pleasures are less common with nerds and geeks because maybe our defining trait is being obsessively into something that most people mm. don't like. Of course, also shame is a learned thing. Mm. Kids and there's a lot of shame in the geek world. Yes, this is true. Um but also like if you grow up with parents who like don't understand the things you're into, just like why are you talking about this? Or Older siblings. Yeah, I had two older brothers who... What happened to them? (laughs) (laughs) I have no brother! (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, they're great, but... um, There were certain things I... I said, I think I said before that there are certain things when they said... I think we're talking about Harry Potter. Yeah. um, If they said something was bad, I didn't want to 
I didn't look at Harry Potter, mm. but there were certain things that um, I knew they thought were really bad or made jokes about how bad it was. Mm-hmm. I used to watch a CITV show called um, My Parents Are Aliens, mm-hmm. um, which I, I quite liked as a kid because it was at my age group. It was I was the target audience, but mm. my brothers who are a bit older, who weren't the target audience, realised it was pretty terrible. Mm. Um, so I had a guilt about it, yeah. but it wasn't it didn't rip me up. Yeah, I also think there's that sort of thing where if you are considered a smart person and you like dumb things, so this is heavy use of uh, finger quotes here, or if you're a sporty person who is into nerdy things, mm. or if you are a nerdy person who is into a sporty thing, yeah, like you get, you are shamed for liking that thing because it is outside of what you are expected to enjoy. Stick to the status quo. <laughs> I'm that. I like to hip hop and beat bop girl who Does high school musical qualify as a guilty pleasure? I don't I think it's meant to be a guilty pleasure. I think some things are designed to be guilty pleasures. I don't know. I genuinely think that the Disney Channel stuff aimed at the children that is aimed at its target audience, it's probably not a guilty pleasure for them. No. For the rest of us. <laughs> I mean I went and saw high school musical three at the cinema and I oh, do wow. not I'll tell you what, that was a riveting cinema. Like, get your head in the game. That opening, that is... I had that on my iPod for a very long time. That well, song is banging. We are, we uh, Some confession time. We actually don't have any kind of order for this episode. No, we, we are just sort of throwing shit um, at the wall and seeing what sticks. So, I want th- do you think there's things which are designed to be guilty pleasures? Because I have a theory mm. about Ryan Murphy. Oh, that man thrives. On- I think his... Thing is guilty pleasures. I think is it? Did he do Nip Tuck? He did Nip Tuck. Nip Tuck, Glee, American, American Horror, Horror Story, Story, and Scream Queens. Yeah, are all meant to be guilty pleasures. I think. Yes. Like there's a certain level of like knowingness, knowingness, and uh, in uh, they are kind of bad shows a lot but of the time. Of, but they embrace that quality <laughs> about themselves. Which lets them get away with lots of stuff. Yeah, there's also that notion within, like, advertising of, like, things just like, you know you want to. It's sort of like, yeah. in the same way that junk food is advertised, like, treat yourself. No one will know. Yeah. This is for you. It's it. It's kind of like a smart move in some ways. Also, people get a giddy little thrill. I shouldn't be doing this. It yeah. becomes a little bit slightly taboo, and that that in and itself becomes a bit of a I shouldn't be enjoying this, but I am. I mean, all his shows are kind of um, are play on a kind of taboo aspect. Yeah, as somebody that has both enjoyed and become frustrated with all of them, I haven't seen Scream Queens. No, but um, yeah, he definitely plays on that. Um, it might be a good way to talk about a shared guilty pleasure of ours. I think we should come in just a sec, because one more thing while we talk about sort of what a guilty pleasure is, uh, a thought that sort of occurred to us is um, things that are maybe aimed or have a high connotation of with the queer community can be very much viewed as a guilty pleasure by sh- the straight community. Yeah. In a... in a in Because a... we talked about... We were talking about ABBA. Oh, and yeah. And how ABBA yeah. are universally sort of seen as a... A guilty pleasure, and you asked me why I thought that was, and I said because it's high cheese and it's high camp. Mm. I feel like Wikipedia's picture for guilty pleasures would be a picture of ABBA. I Alternatively, it would be a picture of from Mamma Mia at the end, where they're all in the ABBA outfits. <laughs> yeah, there's a certain thing. Oh, Mamma like, Mia in the movie. It, it's it goes beyond tasteless to be like 
treasured trash. Yeah. Well, what I trash is a word which I feel is almost like the new term for guilty pleasures. Yeah. Um, because to me, garbage is something that's bad. Don't watch this. Yeah. It's garbage. But trash is like ooh. Trash. I, I've just been watching this trash. Ooh, link me. Yeah. Um, it. I suppose because the word trashy has been around for a while for something that's sort of... People say, oh, that girl is so trashy, but everybody likes that girl. Mm. Or junk food. Junk. Yeah, trash. it's that connotation. It's, um... I don't want to eat trash, but... <laughs> like, oh, actual... so toasty. But, like, yeah. Oh, my God, a deep-fried Mars bar. That sounds disgusting and so bad for you. Where do I find one? What place is selling this? A grilled cheese-themed restaurant opened... I work in Soho in London, and every few weeks a themed restaurant around something really specific opens up, is completely empty, and then changes to a different one. So I've got a crisps restaurant near me. Okay. <sighs> and now there's like a like a just a melted cheese themed restaurant. Yeah. Just everything is some kind of melted cheese. My stomach is hurting at the thought of it, but I also kind of want to go check it out. Yeah. Um, there's a cream egg restaurant oh my god i feel a little bit sick <laughs> oh um, no. but it's that i think media does the same thing where it's like universally everyone around this table knows this is a bad idea let's do it anyway because some audience will lap it up um for sure but i i mean before we go on to the ryan murphy thing yes um music yeah is something where I always have this opinion because I'm very quite personal about music because I, I feel people are very judgmental about music <coughs> taste, and I think it's the most subjective thing yeah. in the world. Um, you don't always really know. I don't at least because I'm not a music person. I don't know why a song is good, and it's about how you respond to it. Yeah, and um, so for example, I okay, this is not a girl's pleasure. I do not personally like Nickelback, but I got very kind of weirded out by the fact Nickelback is bad became a meme. Yeah. Because <coughs> I don't know who fell in love to one of their songs or who one of their songs might have saved someone's life through hearing it. I don't know. Yeah. And I don't I don't like how um absolutist people talk about things being yeah. um good or bad. For sure. I want people to talk about, I don't like this, it didn't work with me, for me. Mm. I mean, our our producer, uh, Graham, he's a sound engineer, mm. uh, heavily into um, metal as a genre and prog and sort of things like that. I mean, above the sofa where Hamish is sitting, there's a riff on the Dark Side of the Moon mm. album cover. But I also know for a fact that there are CDs in uh, Graham's collection that he would maybe not want people to see that are in there, and there are... Um... I can see, now that's what I call music. Uh, yeah. Number 41. Mm -hmm. Good choice. Um, yeah. You like... can't be too dirty. No. Like, we won't out all of Graham's no, no, music no. choices. I, I, cho I chose a, um, a collection, which is a fine thing for a sound person to have. Yeah. I think music's just... It's so personal to me. Well, not to me, but like it's so to personal. Everyone. Yeah. If you're a music lover... Your the particular things that you love them for a reason. It just makes me a bit sad that um, any music is considered a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Skrillex. <laughs> I mean, 
a guilty pleasure of mine. Actually, yeah. I might say your say yours because my one's the a musical bit... one. No, um, a certain type of pop um, that you like. It's a shared love. Uh the Spice Girls. Spice Girls. I I do not feel any shame for my love for the Spice Girls. I was the perfect age when that when Wannabe came out. I was my ears were ready. <laughs> I think the but I think admitting it comes with an implied irony nowadays. Yeah. It's like when if you say you like the Spice Girls, the implication is that you like you liked it. Yeah. I don't know. I, if, if Spice Girls comes on the radio at work, I, I, I am singing along quietly to myself. The thing I wanted to admit myself is... This is a safe space, Hamish. It's okay. My first ever album... Yeah. ...was Party Time by The Cheeky Girls. <gasps> and cheeky, I listened cheeky. to it. I learned the lyrics, which there are more of than just Cheeky. What? Um, <laughs> you mean it's not just an album of remixes of that classic tune? Half of the lyrics are girls, okay, so it's not just all cheeky. No, oh, okay. they say they say the word cheeky a lot. Um, I knew then it was a, like a a funny purchase. Yeah, I still listen to it quite a lot, uh-huh. and I know I still remember all the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I act surprised. I've seen Hamish sing and dance. With, I know it was. It's a thing to behold, and I was very happy to be witness to such. I a thing. think knowing the the bridge lyrics to a Cheeky Girls album track mm-hmm. is quite a skill. Um, and you'd be proud of it. I'm proud. That's the thing. I am proud of my guilty pleasures. I don't feel guilt. Mm-hmm. It's not wanting to be judged. Yeah, I think that's. We said about oh, reading the room mm. and adding provisos about why you are a fan of a thing. So, yeah. Right, we mentioned him earlier. His name is a curse word it for others. It strikes for some. fear into the heart of nerds anywhere. Yeah, and frustration into the minds and hearts of countless, countless more, even people that enjoy it. Um, the Ryan Murphy show that both of us are admitted fans of, or were fans of. Glee. Here's what you missed on Glee. Here's what you missed on Glee. We are proud ex-Gleekers. The thing... And and I'm immediately launching into... The thing is, (laughs) nobody hates Glee more than people that used to love Glee. (laughs) Yeah. Like, no, you you weren't hurt as much as we were hurt. I think the problem... I find the problem is, I don't... I can't think of a single episode which is, that's when it went bad. No. Generally, I think like the first half of the first season was really strong, and mm-hmm. the rest of the season was kind of strong. And then by season two, tide I was, was ebbing out. Tide was ebbing out. I was still into it because season two was like super gay, mm-hmm. and was like, "This is what the point of the show is now." Yeah. So I was still on board then, but just gradually over time, just getting that kind of like bad taste in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Being like, and oh. the bad taste got worse and worse and lasted longer and longer. Yeah. Um, I know the episode I stopped watching, mm. but that was long after that. Yeah, no, I think I stopped watching uh, the episode that Rachel left for New York. That's a good place to end because that feels like the end of the show. Yeah. I kept watching. Yeah, you did. The uh... <laughs> So they, they brought in um, Supergirl. Yeah. Um, to be the new Rachel. Um, but then they kept following Rachel. So it's like if they'd had the 
But they didn't because people assumed that that's what people were watching for, just like they assumed that everyone was super invested in certain relations. But this is not going to be the Glee episode. No, but... The um... Glee episode is coming later. (laughs) 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 Yeah. um... So it's all got a bit Doctor Who was counselling him. Sorry. (laughs) 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 Um, Glee. Yeah. Um, yeah, I stopped watching at the great uh, school shooting episode. The worst oh, thing I've ever seen. God, I admit no. that um, that is not an experience British people no. know as well. No. Um, it is a, a you know American problem that needs solving and needs to be talked about. I just don't necessarily believe the that Glee, Glee was the right place to do was it. Was the place to do it? Um, but Glee knew it was a guilty pleasure. Um, it played up. It never pretended to be anything otherwise. No, and it worked best when it. Embraced, embraced it and just was silly. But also I feel that's an example, uh, like I said, like we said, we were talking about, about things that maybe you aren't the intended audience for. Hmm. And we were saying about uh, High School Musical. I mean, I forget what year Glee started, but I was probably not the target audience. You might have been, Hamish. I was not the target audience yeah, for Glee. I was on when the it, edge of it. Yeah. So they're in, it's like you're liking a thing that is for children or for hmm. people younger than you. And ergo, you should feel guilty for it because you should like things that are for your own age group. Well, in a way, like as uh, <coughs> that's good and that's bad. I do think you have to acknowledge when you are enjoying something that's not for your target group. Um, Especially when critiquing it. Yeah, like I some, sometimes I bring up the defence that, for example, this is not a guilty pleasure, but um, actually no, Doctor Who increasingly feels like a guilty pleasure as more people dislike it. Yeah. But um, in America, it seemed to air at sort of 9pm, like, primetime, hard, sci-fi slot. Yeah. Whereas it is kind of a family Family. show with, like, kids' magazines and things over in the UK. Yeah. So um, sometimes I do have to sort of remind people what... And like I see a lot of Steven Universe criticism, and it's very important to critique things when it's for children, but because it's more important then, but also to remember it's for children. Yeah. So the certain choices that are made with regards to storytelling and mm, how far you can go or something. Yeah, these are things that you have to bear in mind. I feel, for example, the whole kind of brony phenomenon happens mm-hmm. from people not wanting to admit it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Because My Little Pony is a fun, funny cartoon show. Yeah. It's okay to like. Um, I think because people felt ashamed at liking what is a cartoon for little girls, they branded themselves, named it separately so that they could kind of excuse Mm. that in a way. Yeah. Which is, and then the whole ugliness around that culture sort of spread. Whereas there were male and male identified fans of My Little Pony that never felt the need to say anything other than, yeah, no, I like My Little Pony. Mm. They then sort of get lumped in because they are male. Yeah. With bronies. And she's like, no, 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 I was I was with that group of fans. While we talk about, uh, talking about Glee. Yeah. Um, something that's interesting I find about Glee. Yeah. Is it was so of its time. Yes. And that is not how you do a teen show now. No. Um an example of a teen show from now, which I didn't know was a guilty pleasure. If I watched completely in a vacuum, mm-hmm. I would not think this was a guilty pleasure. I think, wow, this is quite a good show. 
Whereas before I started watching it, I already had the impression in my mind, this show is trash. Mm. And this show is Riverdale. Riverdale. Um, we did, I think we mentioned it before, um, a lot of discourse. Yes. We mentioned it in our queer baiting episode. Yeah. Um, boy, howdy. What discourse. What fine discourse this morning. The thing is, neither Hamish nor myself are familiar with the comics. No. We don't have any attachment. To, we don't have any preconceived notions of these characters. Um, to be and to the, I don't want to say the show's defence, I don't want to get into that part, but it says it's inspired by characters from. It's not even claiming that it's a true spirited adaption. Again, like, I want to, I don't want to use this as an excuse, but again, there's, there are differences between growing up in the UK and America. Mm-hmm. I feel like in America, Archie Comics is quite public. Yes. Whereas I only know it from references. Yes, same. Um, like I knew the concept of the Betty and the Veronica. Yes. Without having any clue yeah. who Betty Cooper and Veronica Lodge were. Um, so I went in very... Essentially all I knew going in was Archie's ginger. He has to decide between Veronica and Betty. Mm-hmm. Jughead's there. I think... I, so I did know Jughead is asexual. I knew that from other fans. Mm-hmm. And the only other thing I knew in is based on the Josie and the Pussycats movie. El- not a guilty pleasure. A no, good movie. We lo- yeah, we love. A brilliant We love Josie and the Pussycats song. here. We also have, <laughs> uh, we are not ashamed to admit our love of Spice World the movie. Oh yes. Spice World the movie is a bizarre mess of, Meta I don't know what and... anybody was on when they made it. But Girl we love power it. probably. Yeah, <laughs> but we love it. But back to Riverdale. So... You, I was told it was trash, but I, uh, trash. I believe I might have described it as such too. Yeah, you? but when I watched it, I, I was. It took me a while to work out why it was trash. Mm. It's becoming a bit more. The show has like a weird seedy tone. It's it's because it's trying to channel into that teen, uh, t- Twin Peaks vibe, isn't it? Like, mm. Which I've never seen. I need to see. But it's like it's definitely a very different kind of show to Glee. But yes. it feels like this—I don't want to say generation. It's yeah, but I suppose like, it, I've not also seen it. But it's got probably more in common with like Pretty Little Liars and Gossip Girl. Yeah, that sort of—I believe which all I believe aired on the CW network. I could be wrong, mm. but it is that sort of glossy, ridiculously attractive teens, ridiculously well dressed. Everyone's kind of angsty and has secrets. And in, and in in improbable situations. And in Riverdale's case, there's a murder mystery driving the events. Mm. I was actually explaining this to Lydia mm-hmm. because something that's quite funny about Riverdale is how the stakes of the A plot and the B plot don't really match up. Yeah. So, spoilers for Riverdale. Yes. But um, <laughs> I, I said to Lydia, oh, I'm watching Riverdale. Um... Veronica has joined Josie and the Pussycats. How will this be handled? Meanwhile, Betty's sister has been locked up in an asylum and she's trying to like snatch her <laughs> away from her emotionally abusive parents. And she's like, what? what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, Riverdale's yeah. weird. Riverdale is kind of weird. It's very... Uh, Tonally, it's a little all over the place. Boy, I, on paper, but like both yeah. those plots felt... Weighted. Weighted. Yeah. They felt like they belonged in the same universe. Yes. Um, I feel like the moment the show acknowledged it was kind of trash or yeah. a guilty pleasure was the episode all about like taking the piss out of Stranger Things with um, 
the actress who plays um, Barb yes. was in yeah. Riverdale mm-hmm. playing a character and they all they, they basically almost said to camera hashtag justice for Barb yeah. but using her character's name and the whole thing was about her getting her revenge through a swimming pool related thing. Yeah. It was like this is so strange. <laughs> I don't know why you were spending time doing this. Yeah. But I think that's what is fun about teen shows. Also, there was an uh, uh, one of the episodes recently had a dream sequence that was the most high gothic, high camp <sighs> thing, and it was <laughs> glorious. Suddenly it was Crimson Peak. And it was great. Um, but um, what to say what you said, we were saying about how everything is given equal weight, and this might be just some pseudo-analysis on my part, but when you're a teenager, everything feels like the most important thing that's ever happened to you. Yeah. And that heightened emotional state is applied to everything. It's interesting because Archie's main like conflict at the moment is that he doesn't know if he's good enough to do music. Yeah. Whereas some people are dealing with actual trauma and abuse or homelessness or like yeah. death and murder and things. Yeah. But it's all given the same way. And I think it's kind of intentional. Yes. Um. We really like Riverdale. We really like Riverdale. But the thing is, I admit that it's a guilty pleasure because I don't necessarily disagree with much of the complaints. Yeah, the criticisms. Some of not all of the criticisms I feel are necessarily valid, but there are some that go, "Yes, no, I think you're right." Um, we apologised in a previous co- podcast for not talking about Jughead. I don't even know if we're going to talk about him this week because it is a massive topic. Um, and I kind of want to see it play out. Yes. That's the same thing with a lot of things in the show, is that uh, there's a lot of emotional reactions to things. Yeah. Which are valid. Yes. I want the series to end so yeah. I can, like... Get a full... See where the plot's going. Yeah, I think... Yeah, we'll wait till the full season of... The, fir- full fir- the first season of Riverdale is finished, and then uh, we'll talk about it. We'll probably get somebody in with us who knows the comics as yes. well. Just... To talk, if you don't, if you guys don't want to hear a full Riverdale fixated episode, then maybe we'll look at adaptions. Start yeah. looking at because I know in terms of adapt adaptations, it's a not. <laughs> it's it's not. It's loose to loose to say the least. Um, Let's talk about another guilty pleasure, Hamish, that we both share. That we both share. <laughs> Bloody Torchwood. Oh, <laughs> uh, I can't. The thing about Torchwood, I don't think it started out wanting to be a guilty pleasure. No. I think it started out thinking it was going to be the most cool... It wanted to be the British Buffy. Yeah, it, it really the thought British it was cool. The British sci-fi Buffy. And I think season two, episode one... Which one? Is that Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang? Yeah. With John, with John Hart? Yeah. I think season two was when... Nah, it's trash. No, we know what we are. And then season three was like serious political drama. And yeah. then series four was trash and bad trash. Yeah. It's so, it's like, what is Torchwood? You are so off the rails, Torchwood. And we went with you. We took yeah. it, we went with you. I do not want to talk about Miracle Day. No. Children of Earth, I genuinely think is fantastic. Yeah. Miracle Day, not so I don't, It doesn't, doesn't feel like the same show. No. Um, Torchwood was just... It was so progressive and thought-thinking in some ways. And so, so off the rails on others. It was definitely high camp. Yep. Um, With John Barrowman at the lead, there's only so many ways (laughs) that your show can go. 
it was... Because I do think a show takes its cue from its lead actor in a lot of yeah. ways. I mean, I remember during series one of Doctor Who, there were some talks and discussion about a Captain Jack spin-off series. Mm-hmm. And when all we knew from him was that he was a time-travelling con man, yeah. that's what I thought the show would be about. And then... But no, it's Welsh people with guns. <laughs> like And fish people. And fish people. And everyone's a little bit bi. Um, and it's great. But like... Mm. Boy, howdy. I'll never say it's... Good. Good piece of writing. But I... There's lots of really great bits. I own... I have Children of Earth and seasons one and two of Torture on, on DVD. And I love them. It was part. It re- reiterated to me why I wanted to be an actor. Mm. It kind of reiterates why I wanted to be a writer, so I could yeah. write something better. But no, no. Yeah. One one thing I wanted to talk about actually yes. is how it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah, I watched it knowing it was kind of trash. Yes, um, it wavered. Sometimes it actually was really good. Mm-hmm. And then spoilers for Torchwood. I think it's possibly 10 years old now. Yeah. Everything seems to be. Oh, 2017's awful. Yeah, no, probably all is. Um, yeah. But season two ends on the death of two characters. Yes. And it's a guilty pleasure. I knew it was trash. I knew this show was bad a lot of the time. I was sobbing. I don't think her character death has affected me as much. That messed me up. Like, and I think there's something about guilty pleasures where you kind of... You 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 don't expect to get that emotional. Maybe I was talking. I think I'm shows I genuinely like and I'm yeah. invested in seem to. I seem to react differently to them. Where I'm kind of like watching it. Like I mean, I mean, this is me talking personally about my own emotions and my own for sure <coughs> struggles to actually express emotions. But something about guilty pleasures means my like my walls are down. I'm not being critical. Yes. I'm not like... You don't have that distance from it. If I thought Torchwood was a good show, I might be annoyed at the way they'd killed off certain characters or I might think, oh, that's not that doesn't work with their story arc or I'm annoyed. But because my walls are down and I'm not, I don't really care, I was just like a wreck. Got, got, yeah, I mean, <coughs> like the second half of series two is exploring some really like deep themes on the nature of immortality Mm. and what it means and you have characters having really deep emotional conversations and then one of them standing on their head and vomiting excessively most of what's been in their digestive tract and it's like what even are you show what are you trying to be an element that a lot of guilty pleasures have is a kind of a self-importance yes um a sense of real grandiose like um, <laughs> I think Doctor Who has stumbled into guilty pleasures a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, I feel towards the end of the Tenant run, it was at its most like grandiose. And the term I always hear is bombastic. That like the music is the loudest and the most orchestrated we can do. Yeah. The Doctor's literally like flying up with angels, looking like he's Jesus, and yeah, we don't care because you'll love it. It felt. I think Russell T Davies has a kind of eye for trash, yeah, um, and a, an appreciation of it. But certainly, like Love and Monsters, yeah, that episode and um, a robot and Robinson. Yeah, he's like playing on really like camp, trashy 
silly things. Uh Uh-huh. And then, like, hits you with some emotion Mm -hmm. when your walls are down. Yeah. It's kind of smart. Yeah, I agree. Um, Do we want to maybe talk about some guilty pleasures which aren't so... uh, safe in the room maybe <laughs> or more personal ones that we don't share maybe oh, to be fair I, I mean I talk about most of mine to be fair I mean you want me to talk about that one that you've highlighted <laughs> and I've knocked you with that's just like kind of <coughs> I want, I, this, this is a little bit like um, yeah I feel like I'm being named and shamed here I want, I want to hear you talk about it okay I have quite a strong appreciation and I do not think it is great TV but I have enjoyed watching quite a lot of it, and that's American Dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel compared to a particular other property created by Seth MacFarlane, which I will not name here because that show makes me angry in so many, many, many ways. It relies on a lot less of the punching down humour that is mm. so endemic in that other show. And I feel it does some really interesting stuff about the nature of family. And I feel like it learned a lot from some of its mistakes. But also it's not afraid to do some balls-to-the-wall ridiculousness. I mean, there is humour in there that is racist. There is humour in there that is transphobic. Yet I find it doesn't seem to be punching down in the way that um, uh, the other show... I'll not name it here. Because... because, um, American Dad, the characters seem to learn Mm. and the lessons that they learn continue to have been learned. Like uh, Stan is very homophobic to start with to the point where he gets to the point where he has gay neighbours and he's just like, and he gets to the point where he likes them. They're still like the gays and he's cool with them. And then they want to adopt a baby and he kidnaps the baby. Because he thinks, no, 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 it's wrong, and I'm doing what's right for the baby, mm. and it, which his wife carries for them, and um, but and then he, he but and he is totally critical. No, Stan, you are in the wrong. And they learn these lessons, and then you have like ridiculous episodes, like they're at war with Santa Claus and the forces of the North Pole, <laughs> and there well, are aliens, and it's like this show is not good. But when it's on, I tend to be quite invested in it. I have not watched very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a very clear distinction between a Stan mm-hmm. and Nate Griffin. You're right there, that cough. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. It's happening all week. Um, because Stan feels like a, char- like a character. Like, there's decisions and opinions in that person. Whereas I feel like the other the other, the other American f- The dad, other man. Um, the other man um, feels like... He can kind of be anything that scene the requires. requires. And so it's kind of get quite get hard to get a hold of where jokes are coming from, mm-hmm. if they are punching down or if they are just shock for shock's sake. Mm-hmm. Whereas the distinction, I remember watching the very first episode of American Dad when it aired, and I could, in a show that's visually identical, yes, and is a family with, you know... Daughter, son, and talking animal. talking animal and weird sidekick kind of camp yeah. thing. Um, it was so clear that like, oh, this has a universe and characters with opinions that change and jokes come from the situation and the room and 
uh, a, a, like, you can have a homophobic character in a show that's not homophobic. Yes. Um, this is not a Simpsons podcast, but The Simpsons did a similar thing with yes. Homer. Yes. Um, and his hom- homophobia. Yeah. Um, so, I can see why it's a guilty pleasure in the sense that it's quite hard to admit without thinking you're lumped in the same yeah. group as Family Guy. Sorry, I'm, Sorry I said I'm, that. No, I'm, I, why do you name the other show? But I'm grinning because there is a particular gag in American Dad that every time I see that episode, I am on the floor laughing. And it's a little old lady. I think she's helped to cross the road or something. And she's like, oh, how am I going to get home now? And she's like, okay, Ethel, time to put 60 years of Kegel exercises to good use. And she clenched, she literally flies up into the air like <laughs> Superman. <laughs> and later in the episode, she lands and she's like... Oh, this isn't where I want to be. <laughs> and she's off again. And I'm like, that joke is so crude, but also so perfectly executed. And I'm just there like, no, I genuinely think that's funny. I think it's, I think you can still, people that you maybe don't love, like mm-hmm. Seth MacFarlane, you can appreciate where their talents lie. Yes. I think there's certain people that end up becoming famous and then having to do everything. Yeah. I think his talent for surreal humour mm-hmm. and um, kind of <sighs> amusing ideas for characters. Yeah, he's also is... a stunningly good voice actor. And yeah, singer. like I think he has skills. Um, so I also resent him quite largely as a human being. Yeah. I believe he is not involved in the writing of American Dad. No, it feels a little bit like... Um, well, didn't it only appear because Family Guy's cancelled, and so he just created a new show? I'm gonna make another jar. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna have the jar for the P word, and we're gonna have the other show jar. Oh, you can name it. No. Don't give it the satisfaction. Um, okay, fine. Are there? So, a, a thing I kind of come across a lot. Yeah. When I talk about something. Mm-hmm. Is the concept of bad movies? Yeah. Because. Okay, for example, my favourite film is not a bad movie. I think, objectively, it is not a bad movie. But it gets lumped in with bad movies because of its high, intense camp... Aesthetic? uh, Aesthetic, and... um, I mean, it's a film made by queer people. Mm -hmm. um, So you maybe can lumber it in with a whole, like, it's for queer people. I don't think it... So my favourite film is Speed Racer. Let me explain. <laughs> I think it's genuinely, objectively, a well-made film and achieves everything it sets out to. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, it gets lumped in the so bad it's good category. Which I would disagree with. Um, that, but the thing is, I do like a lot of bad films. Yeah. I always think the worst thing a film can be boring. is boring. And like that often comes with like self-importance and like just thinks it's going to be the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of, like, films which are bad because they're not made with any kind of um, artistic eye or... Does The Room get classified in that, do you think? So The, the Room has this cult following. The Room I love. I, the room's, I've never seen it. The Room's hard because... I'm kind of... Basically, next year a film is coming out about the making of The Room starring James Franco and I feel like that's when the end of being The Room being... Enjoy. The Room being fun is going to happen because it's going to be a big mainstream comedy film and everyone's going to be pointing laughing. The Room is interesting 
because it is not boring. It is really fun. It's really funny. Does that mean it's a bad film? Why is it a bad film? We all know it's a bad bad, film. But I don't know why it's a bad film. The acting and the story and the dialogue is atrocious. Okay, cool. That's why it's a bad film then. But it's enjoyable. You can't, like... (laughs) Even if you didn't find it funny, it's not boring. Mm -hmm. It's... It's... It's weird. Yeah. But I mean, there is now a whole culture around B movies, like, so, and so bad it's good. Mm. There is, it's like, things get, I'd say cult movies is its own category, because that's things that do poorly at the box office, but then achieve because they are good movies. I mean, one of my favourite films, and I do not think it's a good film. I also don't really consider it to be a guilty pleasure, because I'll quite happily tell people that I love this movie, mm. but it's, um, it's Tank Girl. It's not a great film, but I adore it. Um, I grew up watching it from a young, from probably a younger age than I maybe should have been, and I can quote that film backwards and forwards. And I adore it in all its shitty, shitty glory. Uh, but I mean, story-wise, it's pretty damn solid. Performance-wise, it's solid. There's some odd choices in the script. Visually, I adore it. What is the quality do you think that makes it bad? One, it's low budget. Two, I think there's there's corners there that they had to cut that are very clear. Aside from that, I think it's it's a bit camp. It's a bit high camp. I do think there are pacing issues. I do think it the story goes off on some weird tangents that maybe don't make sense i however love the fact that there's an extended musical number in the middle of that movie (laughs) i feel like all all musicals get branded with a guilty pleasure thing yeah um i was just interested because i i while i feel like speed racer is kind of a guilty pleasure i don't think it's bad yeah i think it's unappreciated yeah i feel like it's a cult movie waiting to get its it's yeah. already got a kind of a following, but it's yeah. waiting to become a proper cult film. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know where Tank Girl falls into that. I think it probably falls into B movies. It's probably there with like barbed wire for like female led mm. comic book movies. But m- part of me wonders that if Tank Girl was led by male character, whether it would have the same sort of get the same sort of hate. But also, I think it made the mistake because it's tonally quite different from the comics. Mm. in the same mind you if you've ever read the comic that the mask is based on that comic is terrifying there's a strange type time yeah when the comic books people were adapting were like the really strange unpopular dark cult dark things (coughs) Um, and the films they were producing of them yeah i feel like people didn't really get a hold of how to do a comic book movie until fairly recently um yeah, I mean, I, I'm talking about, again, I, I I love, I've talked before, I love kaiju films, mm-hmm. and a lot of them get lumbered in the bad category or the B-movie category because, you know, man in suit, attack city, um, yeah. a model city. Um, some of them really definitely fall in that category, um, but I don't know, I, I've never felt guilt around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always found, maybe it's because it's a... Kind of, it's a bit of a special interest. Yeah. Um, I don't... My reaction to telling people I like Godzilla is tend to be like, let me tell you everything I love about this and show you my enthusiasm. It's not, 
forget everything you know, it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. I don't try and apologise for it. I try and... Yeah. Show people, I don't know. That's an interesting thing, that intersection between guilty pleasures and special interests. I don't feel guilty for liking the thing. I feel guilty about boring or upsetting people by talking about it too yeah. much. I that's feel the where, same. That's where my guilt... That's where the guilt comes in for me. I, I refuse to feel bad about things that bring me enjoyment. Like, there's a reason I picked the hedonism bot line. <laughs> I love hedonism bot. Mm. Decapitation in an opera! How decadent. Let us rejoice like the Greeks of old. You know the ones I mean. Yeah, just like, oh, cover me in chocolate syrup. (laughs) Hedonism Bot is a great example for loving life. and. Mm. Um, I think, I I mean, guilt is the, you shouldn't be enjoying that. Yeah. So you always feel guilt about anything in life. Um, Mm. I want to talk about something. Did you want to talk about something? No, yeah, go ahead. Okay, because I want to talk about my current guilty pleasure. Yeah. Um, I work, so again, I'm explaining myself. I always explain myself with this. I work as an animator. Mm-hmm. That means a uh, repetitive uh, drawing thing. Um, I Most people listen to music or podcasts. I find podcasts oddly quite distracting because I kind of care about wanting to listen to it. So yeah. I have to, I divide media as in podcasts and TV shows into kind of two categories as things I really love and want to watch and things I can put on in the background and it doesn't matter if I miss a bit or I'm like not really concentrating. Yeah. And the current thing I find is the best for doing this. Yeah. Is kind of trashy documentaries in big quotation marks. (laughs) Um, Stuff about ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, um, which is all like one thing, but also like murder shows or uh, things about for like forensic crime scenes. Uh-huh. Um you can just like put them on and like five can go past and they're basically all the same. Mm-hmm. And um I don't know, it just it I find they're the perfect balance of interesting to keep me entertained and not make me like go a bit wild while animating, but not interesting enough that um, I'll get distracted. Yeah. Um, and me and Lydia, who's also an animator, um, are constantly recommending each other trash documentaries on Netflix. Yeah. And just saying, like, have you watched Britain's Darkest Taboos? Like, um, <laughs> like, what a title. And, like, I know they're bad, and I know um, there's actually a line in the most recent series of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. Which we can get our own jar for, because I yeah. mention it a lot. Um, but then we'd need a Simpsons jar. Yeah. And then we will have no money. <laughs> well, it'll just we'll be in jars. Um, they do an episode which is a big kind of parody of uh, making of a murderer. Yeah. Um, don't really like it all that because it kind of steers into making fun of actual people involved in this. Yeah. But they have a brilliant line at the end, which I think saves it, which is, murder is chips. You just eat it and you don't really realise, you know, anything's bad until the bag's gone and you're like, ugh, and you feel gross. And they talk about how other people's horrific tragedies is this, like, popcorn disposable entertainment for mm-hmm. us. Um, and that that's why I feel guilt. Not only because these shows purport to be educational when they really aren't. They're but because very exploitative. Because you're getting enjoyment about other people's misery? Basically. But, like, the show exists to do that. And everyone yeah. involved, except for the victims who can't yeah. do anything, but the families and stuff, they're all 
saying they can do this. Yeah. They're all buying into it. They know what show they're going to be on. Yeah. I mean, but then we can't... It's human nature, isn't it? I mean, I realised how bad it was when I said to Lydia, oh, I've run out of um, this show. I wish there was more. And she said, yeah, I wish there were more murders. And I was like, like, oh, "Oh." that's what I've asked for, basically. Yeah. Um, Do you have a... Because I have another show, but do you want to... Yeah, well, no. I mean, I, I think I got publicly outed enough with my okay. enjoyment of American Dad. Well, this is... So, moving on from those types of shows, there's another format of programmes which um, I feel is a bit of a guilty pleasure, which are kind of like elimination reality shows. Yeah. Um, oh, well, okay. For an example on that one, I used to enjoy Big Brother. The first couple of seasons of Big oh, Brother... Yes. When Big Brother first started, I was massively into it. I sort of fell out when it became, right, we need to make them do things now. Then I sort of, I, I watched the first three seasons of Big Brother pretty religiously. After that, I kind of fell out with it. Never really been into Survivor or I'm a Celebrity. Shipwrecked. Battle of the Islands. That <gasps> uh, was my a, one. A friend of mine was on Shipwrecked once. Um, <sighs> I'm, I, I loved it. Yeah. But I remember back in the day, loving Blind Date, loving Gladiators. I, I currently love um, uh, First Dates mm-hmm. um, a lot. I I mean I listen to a podcast that is all about a show I listen to Rose Buddies which is a show about the Bachelor and the Bachelor family of products a show that does not even air in the UK (laughs) and I am horrifically invested Mm. but to be fair I enjoy Rose Buddies because I enjoy hearing the hosts Mm. talk about them but they talk about this trash show that they love and they know what it is. It's really hard as someone who's like often calling out media yes. to Admit. battle the fact that I let a lot of it slide. Yeah, no, I try to be as someone who tries to be a uh, a conscientious consumer of media who tries to call out transphobia when I see it and homophobia when I see it. That's why admitting that I like American Dad on this yeah. podcast feels like such a big thing because I know that those creators have created things that make me sick to my stomach. I mean, because Riverdale, for example, is so divisive and has a strong like hatred from uh, past Alchemy. the queer me- yeah, community, Al- I feel bad about talking about it on a queer podcast. Yes. Um, a show... So I'm going to talk about one final show. Yeah. Um in this kind of reality TV thing, mm-hmm. is RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my journey with the show has been long and complex. Uh-huh. Um, I used to hate it. Um, I used to... When I went to university, I joined the LGBT Society and everyone was talking about Drag Race and it made me very mad and angry. Um, I agreed with a lot of my feminist friends about um, the concept of the whole being transphobic. Um RuPaul himself has say made quite transphobic comments, um, and it kind of boiled in me a lot. And my husband's Justin liked it, and I wanted something to watch with him, and I wanted to give something a shot. Yeah, I essentially came to the conclusion that I watch you know really trashy reality shows anyway. I watch garbage and things like this, and yeah. I am not critical of them. Yeah. The only show I'm being critical of them is, is the one. one with the entire LGBT cast. Um, I was shutting off the one show of representation because I was holding it to a huge standard I do not give 
any of the other shows I watch. Yeah. So I wanted to give it a go, mm-hmm. and I really loved it. What I learned by watching it is that I can call out things. I can say they are a bad person. Like, they say these bad things. I can talk at individual problems. Yeah. And not blanket a show with a incredibly diverse... Um, it's not all white people. It's not all cis people. It's... Um, and, and through Drag Race, I uh, they reference the, uh, the history of drag, which is very different in America to it is in the UK. Yes. Um, they talk about Paris's burning, and I watched that through Drag Race, which is like mm-hmm. such a life-changing film for yeah. an LGBT person. Um, it's such a good education. And while RuPaul, I feel, is one of those types of people who come up occasionally in the LGBT community who are, they were so important and did so much good back in, back in a certain era. era. Yeah. And since then maybe haven't kept up to date with the languages and the choices and like the, the current discourse, the current problems. For sure. Um, so doesn't necessarily apologize or feel like they should learn. Yeah. However, the show itself is learning. Yeah. Um, and the show has responded to concerns. Um, it's interesting that so many people brand it as a transphobic show when it's had more trans people on it than most shows I've ever dreamed of. Yeah. Um, the, sh- the series airing this year is going to have its first out before the competition trans woman. Yes. Um, often you see debates about oh, someone's a trans woman or a drag queen from past, but you can be both. Yeah. A drag being a drag queen is a job, a performance. It's a art performance inspired by femininity. Yes. Um, but can be very vague. Yes. And this is the thing, it began as a guilty pleasure, but as I've kept watching it, I've just become very certain on my views of it. Mm-hmm. We'll always call it out. Yes. Will always want it to be better. Yes. But I've become slightly defensive of one of the most popular uh, gay, I say gay because of RuPaul, yeah. but fronted um, franchises. Yeah, I think that's what And to that um, it, it feels like a guilty pleasure because I have to justify it. Yeah. Whereas I think to most, because that's because I'm someone who cares about things. Yeah. I think a lot of gay people don't see it as guilty pleasure. Yeah. I think a lot of straight people do think as a guilty pleasure because it has a huge straight following. Yes. Um, that was my piece. Yeah. <laughs> I um, really talked to her a lot. I just realised while we were talking about elimination stuff, I was massively into America's Next Top Model. <laughs> I started watching Project Runway. Uh, and the weird thing is, is that the standard of clothing yeah. isn't that much higher than Drag Race. In Drag yeah. Race, they do a lot of like sewing Mental, challenges. Yeah. Um, it is much higher in a lot of senses. But I love all those kinds of shows. I love the um, I love how all of them have the the sort of air that this is happening. Oh, I have a massive guilty pleasure, which I'm always scared to admit at the end. Oh yes, the same theme. This is quite scary, actually. Oh okay. I don't have it anymore. It's like Glee. Okay. Okay. Um, but anyway, in these elimination shows, they try to have an air that this is like an authentic competition. Yeah. But also you have five seconds to scramble to get the clothes that you want. Go. And, you, and you know that there's like producer bias and things yeah. that are edited to portray people as characters and roles. Yep. Um, 
Okay. It I'm, happens a lot in those shows. Yeah. I'm going to quickly mention that I have a real love of cooking shows, despite the fact that I don't cook very much. Yeah. A lot of them, um, my partner and I are big fans of watching Jamie Oliver, who we rag on constantly <laughs> for, uh, we, we we say he's made a pact with an olive oil demon, <laughs> which is why he is, is it? Is it? But we also really like his food and we have like a number of cookbooks mm. written by Jamie Oliver in our house. Um, Justin and I used to do a kind of a trash Thursday oh, yeah. where we found these shows like... Oh, what? Flip, channel flipping. Like flipping, yeah. like Ed. And it was like, we watched Ching's Restaurant Redemption, which is basically um, Kitchen Nightmares. Is that when they fix yes. things? Yeah. But exclusively for Chinese restaurants. Oh, right. Which is so niche. It's yeah, so right. funny. Yeah. Um, it was just, she was like so brutal and yeah. the things you'd see... Um, and like we went from that and I was like diners driving drivers and dives. dives and but then like it started off as food yeah then it went to property yeah and we watched like 60 minute makeover and uh, Homes Under the Hammer yeah and, things. and then it goes to paranormal and we're that, watching the beautiful night yeah right so because Expo- <laughs> I expose yourself to me Hamish that came out wrong <laughs> this is a little bit hard Okay. Okay. So back in the day, yeah, one of my favorite shows, yeah, was The American Apprentice. Ah. Uh... I cannot believe I was part of the problem. <laughs> oh. I feel um, it's just I lo- I loved it so much more than the um, British version because the British version like the is... Alan Sugar is about as entertaining as watching paint dry. Yeah, the British version of The Apprentice. Doesn't feel like trash. It feels it like, feels like it's of... taking itself too seriously. Yeah. Whereas, so I'm not gonna refer to the the present the the main person in this yeah. American version of The Apprentice. I'll just call him him. Um, <laughs> him. <laughs> but Help of girls, bless yeah. In the, so I wanted to think an example of how the uh, British Apprentice is different to the American one. Yeah. Um, in one of the final episodes of one series. Yeah. Um, they're in the boardroom. Yes. Which in the American version is like gold and bronze and wood and oh, like paintings and it's yeah. very different. As ostentatious as you can imagine. Yep. Um, and then before we finally found out who was fired, which you don't do with someone at a job interview, mm-hmm. by the way, but before we found out who got the job, the walls of the <laughs> boardroom lifted up and they were in Madison Square Garden and the every every f- like seat was taken up by a celebrity and then he went into the crowds and interviewed celebrities about who they think and like Oprah was there and it was gaudy and shocking and it just came from an era when I think as a kid, as a British kid, you see a lot of things like Michael Jackson documentaries and Louis Theroux stuff and like this constant like America, yeah, like as a kind of, as a documentary subject, yeah, as a kind of strange thing we can look at and dissect and try and understand yeah, was very fascinating to me. And The Apprentice was just the most... Was the the pinnacle of that. Yeah. To me, that's... I don't feel shame in the sense that... I don't feel too much shame. It's just not something I say I'm still a fan of. Yeah. I think that's fair. But even then, it was a guilty pleasure. Yeah. And on that 
sad note, both of us feeling a little bit ashamed. We're going to end the episode. Oh, God, that was hard. This is like punishment for our catch-up geek outs. Yeah, this like flagellation. But while the subject matter may have been hard in places, as always, it's a pleasure talking to you, our listeners. Uh, so Please don't think bad of us. No. We... Tell you what. Please message us with some of your guilty pleasures so we can feel better about ourselves. Uh, you know how to get in contact with us. We've got our individual Twitters. Um, I'm at Hamish Steele. And I'm at Jade Oxford Rose. And you can find us on Facebook, on Tumblr, on Twitter and at Gmail, all box not included. Please send us questions for um, our Vox Pop, no Box Vox Pops, um, mini topics or big topics. And if you're a queer expert in any field, yeah. um, recommend us episode ideas and we maybe have you on as a guest. We'd love that. Uh, we're also toying with the idea of maybe doing a Periscope or a live stream. Uh, if you would like to, to see our, our faces as well as hear our voices, uh, let us know. We might do like a, a mini Q&A or something. We've got obviously the box not included Twitter, so Periscope would be easy. Um, um, but yeah, we'd it'd be it'd be fun for us to do. We'd be we'd be up for trying that if uh, you guys want to see it. And also, um, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice if that's possible. It helps us out a lot. Yes, uh, we've said thank you to you guys. Also, want to thank our uh, want to thank our Graham Waller, um, <laughs> <laughs> Master, what is it? Audio, Audio Overlord and Master of the Sound Waves. He does our theme music. He produce helps produce the podcast, and you can check out more of his work at GrahamWaller.com. And he's got his own podcast, The Mix Cave. I'm sure he'd appreciate it if you would uh, go along. Uh, tell him Jaden Hamish said yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but until next time, I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. And don't let anybody box you in. <laughs>